Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. Our Sunday services have now moved online and you can tune in every week for worship, prayer and our weekly sermon by going to christchurchlondon.org forward slash church hyphen at hyphen home. We're now going to hear the talk from this week's Church at Home service. A while back, Andy Tilsley came to our house and I offered him a cup of coffee. I'd made one for myself just before he arrived and so I knew there was a little bit of water, but not enough. So I topped up the kettle, I hit the switch, I went through and chatted to him, came back a minute or so later, made the coffee, served it to him and he drank it. It was only after Andy had left our house that I realised that although I had hit the on switch on the kettle, at the wall, at the plug, it had been turned off. And so rather than serving Andy a hot, fresh cup of coffee, I had served him one made of a little bit of off-boil water and a lot of cold tap water. And Andy, being kind and polite, just didn't say anything. He just drank it. Uh, Although secretly, I reckon he probably thought, Liam's a bit of a foodie. Maybe this is some new coffee trend I've never heard of. But either way, as soon as I realised what I had done, I felt mortified. Because to my mind, there is nothing more unpleasant than a lukewarm cup of coffee. If it's not hot enough to be warming or cool enough to be refreshing, then it's just unpleasant. General William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said this. I like my tea like I like my religion. Hot, very hot. When I started preparing today's sermon, both that story and that quote came to mind because the verses we're going to look at in Romans chapter 12, in these verses, Paul talks about the spiritual life using language of fire, of zeal, of passion. And I guess maybe for some of us, that's not how we think of our Christian lives, particularly coming out of a year or so like we have just had. Maybe for some of us, our life doesn't feel like it's characterised by fire and zeal. Maybe it feels a bit more like Andy Tilsey's cup of coffee. Might have started out with some boiling water, but actually due to the passing of time and challenging circumstances and, and disappointments we've faced, it's got watered down and cooled down. So maybe today we actually feel a bit disappointed about our spiritual lives. And if that's you coming into this talk, hold on. I have some things that I hope will encourage you. We're going to look at two verses, verses 11 and 12. And then I want to unpack two ideas that Paul stresses in this passage, that of fire and fuel. Why is the Christian life meant to be fiery and what is it that fuels it? So this is what Paul writes. Never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. So verse 11 says, keep your spiritual fervour, which I have to say is not actually a great translation. And that's not just my opinion. I've drawn from many scholars. In fact, back to the church fathers, up to Calvin, and many modern commentators agree, this is probably not the best way of translating that verse. The word fervour means an intense, passionate feeling. So when I hear spiritual fervour, the kind of thing that comes to mind, it's almost like Paul is expecting us to be constantly spiritually alive, like we're meant to feel on an emotional, spiritual high all the time. And for many of us, for me included, that's simply not what the Christian life is like all the time. The word translated fervour means to be like a boiling liquid or a burning hot ember. There is a heat to it. And the word translated spiritual probably more likely means in the spirit, where spirit is not referring to our spirit, but the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is therefore the instrument who causes us to be boiling or burning. So many commentators say a better translation would be, be set on fire by the Spirit. Now, I think that's really important. Because if we hear Paul's words and think, Paul expects me just to feel intensely passionate about my spiritual life all the time, that means we set the bar at a level that probably none of us is going to achieve and we set ourselves up for disappointment. Most of us don't feel that way all the time. Now hear me right, there is a place for emotion in the Christian life, in the spiritual life. I am grateful for the ways that I get to experience God's presence. I get to experience him tangibly and emotionally in powerful ways. I long for that. Those times are precious and I treasure them. I pray for them. And actually, I think we should expect them and ask God for them as well. But this verse is actually less to do with how we feel and more to do with having power by the Spirit to do something. See, Paul says, be set on fire by the Spirit or keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. You see, the purpose of being set on fire by the Spirit is so that we get to do something. You don't start a fire for no reason, or at least I trust that I'm speaking to a law-abiding crowd right now. You don't start a fire for no reason. You start a fire in order to do something, maybe to warm something or cook something or melt something or bring light to something or or, or start an engine so you can move something. There's a purpose to being set on fire. And the same is true here. The purpose of being set on fire by the Spirit is not just so that we can have a great emotional spiritual life or a personally vibrant spiritual life or great worship times or whatever. Those things are great, but they are not the end goal of the fire. They're actually the fuel of the fire. And the fire is there for the purpose of serving the Lord. Now, when Paul says this, that we should be set on fire serving the Lord, I think he probably has two ideas in mind. It probably means mission to the world, but also building the church. In Romans chapter 15, Paul uses similar language about serving God through the power of the Spirit. And for him, he says it means proclaiming the good news of Jesus making him known where he isn't known, demonstrating the power of the gospel with signs and wonders. So when Paul talks about serving the Lord in the power of the Spirit, I think he has that in mind. But remember too that just a couple of verses earlier, as David reminded us the other week, Paul talked about serving the Lord by serving others, using our gifts within the church. So I think Paul has both those ideas in mind. Wherever we find ourselves, a vibrant spiritual life should be one in which we are set on fire by the Spirit so that we can serve God. A vibrant spiritual life should be one characterised by activity, but not in our own strength, in the strength of the power that God provides for us. John Wesley was one of the leaders of the Methodist revival, and he had an amazing experience of the Holy Spirit in 1738, where he described his heart as being strangely warmed. And this experience of the Spirit led to an amazing passion for prayer and sharing the good news of Jesus and caring for those in need. And under his leadership, Methodists became many of the leading voices on social issues of the day, whether that was prison reform or the abolition of slavery or plenty of other things. And there's a quote that's often attributed to Wesley, known as Wesley's Rule, where he says this, Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. What a rule to live by. I think that is what a life is meant to look like when your heart has been strangely warmed, set on fire by the Spirit. 
We are set on fire by the Spirit so that we can serve the Lord wherever we find ourselves. There's a purpose to the fire of the Spirit. The Christian life is meant to be characterised by activity, not in our own strength, but in the strength of the power that comes from God. Look at how Paul begins verse 11. He says, never be lacking in zeal. The Greek literally reads, in haste, not lazy or not slow. Simon Ponsonby, in his brilliant book on Romans, makes a great point that this phrase would have been especially meaningful for the Roman church. Because the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, had a motto that he would regularly say, which was this, make haste slowly, or as we tend to say it today, more haste, less speed. And he actually had these coins printed with a picture of a crab and a butterfly on it bearing this slogan, make haste slowly. Now, in many ways, that's actually really great advice, and I don't think Paul would disagree with it. Essentially, it means that we should live with a proper balance of urgency and diligence, and I think the Bible agrees with that. But Paul does challenge it by tweaking one of the words a little bit. Instead of saying, make haste slowly, he says, make haste, but not lazily. And I think the reason is because Paul wants to instill a sense of urgency into his hearers. Because the Roman Christians were literally walking around with coins in their pocket that that communicated this cultural message. Be measured. Take it slow. And Paul wants to say, don't allow your culture to cause you to slow down to the point where you lose your zeal. You lose your your distinctiveness, your sense of urgency. Don't allow your culture to cause you to become spiritually lazy. I think that's a message we need to hear. Or I do at least. Because I know there are many temptations in my world, messages from my culture that cause me to water down or cool down or go off the boil in my spiritual life. I know that there are many things that cause me to slide into a sort of spiritual lukewarmness, as it were. Whether it is not speaking out about my faith because I worry about what people might think about me or believing the message that is constantly pumped at me through social media and TV and and every sort of form of media, that really in order to have a fulfilled life, you need X, Y, or Z. And so I end up prioritizing things other than Jesus and he takes second place. Or maybe it's just thinking, well, it doesn't really matter too much if I go to church or if I am part of a committed church community. You know, I've done without that for a year. I've been okay. Maybe no one will notice anyway. I'll just duck out for a season. I don't know what it is for you, But I think there are many challenges in our world, in our culture that can cause us to become lukewarm over time. The fire dwindles. I remember years ago being at a party and a friend of mine introduced me and my friend was not a Christian. He introduced me to his friend and he said, this is Liam. He's a Christian, but don't worry, you wouldn't know. And he meant that as a compliment. Essentially, he was telling his friends, don't worry, I brought a Christian, but he's not going to ruin the party. He's not suddenly going to pull out a Bible and start preaching or hijack the Spotify playlist and lead us in a song of Kumbaya or anything like that. He meant it as a compliment. I didn't take it that way. Because when I heard that, I thought, I kind of hoped you would know that I was a Christian. And yet I recognised, and it was a bit of a wake-up call to me, that there are so many ways, so often, that I want to be liked or I want to be thought of as, as normal or whatever. And so I can dial down my faith and become indistinct. I become lukewarm. Can you resonate with that at all? Now, to be clear, I'm not suggesting that we should suddenly become loud and obnoxious about our faith or strange or that we should force our faith on anyone else. Not at all. But I am saying this. The Christian life is not meant to be lukewarm. 
It's not meant to be characterized by just silence, by not speaking out, by just sort of hiding in the background. The Christian life is meant to be fiery. People are meant to encounter us and there's meant to be something attractive about the way that we live that should make them think, I want to live like that. I want to know the God that they serve. So Paul tells his readers, and by implication he tells us, to live a life characterised by fire, with urgency, not laziness, being set on fire by the Spirit so we can serve the Lord. So how do we do that? The Holy Spirit is the one who sets us on fire, but in order for that fire to be maintained and sustained, there needs to be a regular adding of fuel to the fire. It was my wife's birthday the other day and we decided to do a barbecue and I got this thing really hot and I put the meat on it and it'd been cooking away for about two or three minutes and suddenly I noticed that the flames started to flicker a little bit and then they died out entirely. I had no idea what I'd done wrong and so I was trying to figure it out and it turned out that the gas regulator that was responsible for pumping through the fuel to the flames had just seized up entirely and broken and so I was left with this thing that had started incredibly hot but now was not fit for purpose and I had this whole barbecue full of raw chicken and not even Andy Tilsley would have been polite enough to eat that. I think for many of us that's a picture of how our spiritual lives can be. No matter how hot I got that barbecue at the beginning, without the steady addition of fuel, that flame was not going to be sustained. It wouldn't be fit for purpose. And for many of us, maybe the start of our Christian life was exciting. Maybe it felt like it was characterised by flames, by fire, by passion, when God just broke in and transformed us. But actually, without regularly tending to that flame, through adding more and more fuel, it won't be long before that initial passion starts to die down, flicker, perhaps even go out. What's needed is not just that we try and ride on that, that, that intense first experience we had, but that we add to that, add to the work of the Spirit, regular additions of fuel. And that regular adding of fuel may feel way more mundane than the initial excitement of experiencing God for the first time, but it is vital for sustaining the Christian life. Paul says, look, keep your spiritual fervour. We have a responsibility for this. It's not just something that we leave up to God as if it's just the Holy Spirit's job for, to, 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 to keep us alight, as it were. Rather, we are told to keep our spiritual fervour. We're responsible for it. Paul regularly says things like this. He wrote to the Ephesians to go on being filled with the Spirit like it depended on them. He told Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God that's within you. We have a responsibility for our spiritual zeal. But it doesn't entirely rest on us. It's a partnership. It's a partnership between us and the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't just set us on fire at the beginning and then off he goes. He will regularly go on filling us if we ask him. The Christian life is a partnership, and just as a fire needs two things for it to be sustained, oxygen and fuel, so too we need to be regularly breathed upon by the Holy Spirit, and we need to regularly add fuel to the fire so that the fire of our Christian life can keep alight. Now, of course, there are plenty of things that we can do that can help us, uh, including worship, including Bible reading, um, practices like fasting or giving or serving or being in community or whatever it happens to be. But the one that Paul highlights here in verse 12 is being faithful in prayer. Prayer is central to the Christian life. It is one of the key things that keeps our spiritual vibrancy alive. 
It reminds us that Christianity is not just a system of beliefs or a set of ethical practices. It's not even a mission to complete. It is all of those things, but it's those things rooted fundamentally in a relationship. And prayer is the way that we cultivate that relationship by talking to the one with whom we are in relationship. In her brilliant book, Prayer in the Night, Tish Harrison Warren says this, Faith, I've come to believe, is more craft than feeling, and prayer is our chief practice in the craft. I think she's absolutely right. A vibrant spiritual life is not just one where you feel alive all the time, you feel passionate and on fire. It's one where you are regularly practicing the craft of putting log after log after log on the fire. It's about the discipline of regular faithful prayer. And this will look different for all of us with our different temperaments and practices. Maybe for some of us, prayer works best if we just have a long period of time at the beginning of the day and, and we pray for ages and it just feels exciting. It sets us up for the day. Maybe some of us don't work like that. Maybe for some of us, prayer is about like little bits of kindling that we put through the day as we kind of snatch prayers here and there. Some of us maybe like to have a weekly rhythm of prayer, maybe with a day of fasting and prayer or whatever it happens to be. For some of us, prayer is something quiet and personal and contemplative and reflective. Maybe for some of us, prayer is something more active and loud and we like to do it out loud, marching around as we do. So whatever works for you. The important thing is that we need to be faithful in prayer, regularly adding log after log after log to the fire. Now, I say this to you as someone for whom prayer does not come naturally at all. I've said this quite a lot at Christchurch. Like, I am jealous of people who seem to just find prayer to be so easy. There are some people who just seem to be able to pray for hours as if it's the most natural thing in the world. I am not one of those people. I too easily get distracted. My mind goes elsewhere. Give me a Bible. I'll happily read that and think about that. But prayer, I find hard work. But I can honestly say it has been one of the most important disciplines, one of the most important crafts that I have ever worked on. Because in every prayer, no matter how hard or easy it seems, it's like you're adding a new log to the fire. You're adding fuel upon which the Holy Spirit can breathe and keep you alive, keep you active. So I want to make a challenge to you or a suggestion to you this week. However you feel about prayer, whether you already feel you have an established, well-working prayer life, or maybe this is new to you entirely, why don't you, every day this week, try and discipline yourselves to put logs on the fire through faithful prayer? And in particular, why don't you try the habit, try to build the habit of praying morning, noon and night? It doesn't have to be long. I'm not asking you to do hours at various points through the day. But just having those moments, those set moments where you add a bit more fuel to the fire can be really powerful. Why not try it for a week and see how you feel at the end of the week? Here's a suggestion. Morning, perhaps before you've got out of bed, the first thing you do before you picked up your phone or anything else, why not just take a moment to pray? Or if it helps you and you need to get out of bed and get a cup of coffee first, that's totally fine. Maybe sit there with a the Bible and just read a small passage of scripture. Reflect on it, think about it, and then perhaps pray a prayer inspired by what you've read. Or think ahead to your day and ask God to be with you in the various things that are coming up. However it, however it works for you, just take some time at the beginning of the day to put a log on the fire and ask God to fill you afresh with his Holy Spirit. Then around the middle of the day, why not set your alarm for 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock or whatever works best for you? And when it goes off, add another log to the fire through a short prayer. It doesn't have to be long. If you're just sitting at your desk or something, your alarm goes off, just 
maybe just turn your hands up on the desk just as a way of saying, okay, I'm giving this moment to prayer and pray the Lord's Prayer. It may take you 30 seconds, a minute, something like that, but it's another way of just adding a little log to the fire, recentering yourself in the middle of the day. Then at the end of the day, perhaps just before you go to sleep, why not put another log on the fire to get you through the night? For me and my wife, this is the time that we pray together and it's hardly ever long before we fall asleep, but it's just important to us to look back across the day we've just had, to thank God for his blessings and also to acknowledge the things that have been difficult and to give them over to God and to ask for his perspective or his forgiveness or his peace. There's a prayer called the Prayer of Examine, which is a brilliant prayer to pray to help you reflect back over your day and give it over to God. If that helps you, try praying that morning, noon and night are opportunities just to put a log on the fire through faithful prayer and experience the presence and power of the Holy Spirit breathing you back into life. Can I challenge you? Try that for a week. It may not feel natural at first, but I think you will feel the benefit of it. Each prayer may not feel exciting or vibrant in and of itself, but each one is like another log added to the fire. And if you hear this suggestion, you think like, I do not have the energy for that. I understand. And if actually you hear this encouragement to grow in the discipline of prayer and it feels like a burden to you, if you feel exhausted, if you feel like you're a flickering flame on the edge of, of extinguishment and you just think, I don't, I don't know that I have anything more to give, I understand that. Scripture says of Jesus that a smouldering wick he will not extinguish. What better a person is there to come to in prayer than this? And Paul is realistic. He knows that the spiritual life is not always easy, which is why he says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. I think actually prayer is the way that we get to be joyful in hope and patient in affliction. Because whatever we're going through, we come back to the one who can heal us, the one who can restore us, the one who can comfort us. And in the moments where I have found prayer hardest, various things have helped me. I know that I can do with a bit of help. And so at ChristChurchLondon.org forward slash prayer, our prayer page on the website, we have got various resources that you may find helpful. There are recommendations of books you may want to read. There's a daily prayer guide which has morning, noon and night prayers. The prayer of examine is explained in there as well. And there are also prayers that are written for a whole load of different seasons and scenarios. A prayer to start your week, a prayer for people facing anxiety or sleeplessness, or um, a prayer for your work, for courage, for gratitude, various different things. And each of these has a scripture to read, some questions to reflect on, and then a set prayer that you can pray, and some encouragements for how you can talk about this with others around you. And the reason that we put that bit in at the end is that prayer doesn't have to be just an individual thing that we do. In fact, I've often found that it's best when I do it with others. Because as Paul goes on to say, and we'll see in a couple of weeks time, we are meant to share life together. We are meant to rejoice with those who rejoice, but also mourn with those who mourn. Elsewhere, Paul talks about the need to bear one another's burdens. And one of the ways we do that is by praying together and for each other in community. There have been times where I have really struggled with my spiritual life. And one of the only things that has kept me alive when I have struggled even to articulate prayers myself is knowing that there are others around me praying with me and praying for me. And like a, a coal dwindling in a fireplace, actually the only way I've been able to keep a light is by having other coals around me and I've got to share in their heat. 
We are meant to do life together. And so can I encourage you, if you are going through a difficult time right now and prayer just seems unachievable, why not pray with others and ask others to pray for you? And if we can help with that, we would love to do that. If you would like prayer today or this week, email prayer at christchurchlondon.org and a member of our prayer team would love to pray with you. Or alternatively, if you're not yet part of one of our connect groups, they are great places to learn together and grow together. In fact, this week in your connect group, we will be providing some resources to help you think and talk about prayer and also to spend some time praying together. I hope you find that helpful. But I would love to just pray for us as we close. So you may find it helpful just to close your eyes for a moment, maybe hold out your hands if that helps as a way of saying, God, I want to receive your spirit afresh. And I'm going to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to breathe upon us and bring us back to life. Come Holy Spirit. I pray that you would set us on fire again. For those of us who feel like flickering flames, weak and in need of strength, would you draw close, comfort us with your presence. For all of us, I pray that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit and help us to grow in the craft of prayer. We ask you, Jesus, like your disciples did, would you teach us to pray? And would you keep us on fire so that we can serve you wherever we find ourselves? In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this talk from the Christchurch London podcast. To hear other talks or find out more about our Sunday services, head to ChristchurchLondon.org.